Good morning. Second Corinthians chapter 10. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Titled, Weapons of Our Warfare. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word it instructs us, it equips us that we might be found faithful. Lord, this morning I pray that I might be spirit-filled. And Lord, that each one of us might be spirit-filled as listeners. Lord, that we might be better equipped, more like Jesus, for being here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is protecting the church. Not so we can get his job, keep his job safe. He's not uh, worried about his job. Paul is a businessman. 
when he talks to some churches about working night and day to bring the gospel for him, that, that's what he was doing. He had a leather business, and uh, he supported up to 10 other men while he was turning the world upside down. What an example. Bringing the gospel. So it wasn't about him, but the church was very precious to him. Now, God had used Paul to bring the gospel to Corinth. And now these Judaizers had come in, and they wanted to separate. They always come in with a little better idea. Oh, you're not getting the deeper meaning here. Uh, it's good that you have Jesus, but you also need the law. And they came with their degrees and their garments and all their authority, and they were trying to sneak in and be wolves. Now, I tell young men that are looking to the pastor, and we teach from the pulpit— pastor has three main jobs lead by example feed the word of God and protect the flock in your leading and your feeding it ought to be such that you're not just getting up you know using your Greek Greek and grammatical and in all your Hebrew to make sure everybody knows how smart you are and so you expose the passage and you don't have any application but our teaching ought to be a way and our life ought to be something that also encourages people to follow Jesus. Inspirational. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. God had used Paul to establish the work there in Corinth and now these others have come in and we're trying to separate from the leadership. Remember W.A. Criswell, the old pastor at First Baptist in Dallas, years ago was preaching a message because they were... Him and several others, Adrian Rogers, were just really trying to protect the Southern Baptist Convention from going the way of all other conventions, just going liberal. Their seminaries were going liberal. They were starting to say that the Word of God is not really the authority. We also need to look at psychology and, and what's relevant. And W. O. Criswell did an amazing sermon. And he began to look around the United States, just what has happened here. And his point was, Theological liberals don't build anything. They just take things over. Same thing was going on in Corinth. If we can name off all the college and universities that started out Baptist. You know one of the most liberal universities in the United States is Chicago University? It was established as a Baptist school to prepare men for ministry. In the Ivy League, most of those schools were established to prepare men for ministry. But Satan always has a plan in his compromise and his poisons eventually separate people from the truth it's always going to be a problem in the church always so if God is calling you to be a pastor or even everybody in the congregation always has to keep their eyes open Paul warned the church in Ephesus who he spent more time and concentrated time probably than any other church he was stopping there on his way back to Jerusalem where he would be arrested and then sent to Rome on his way, he stopped, and the elders came out to see him. The elders, and he said, be alert. Because even from among your own selves, the elders, wolves, will arise. And they'll destroy the flock. So you have to stay alert. And what's the standard? What's the authority Paul's talking about? It's not him as a person. Obviously, he had a little different authority as an apostle. But it was the word that he spoke. It was God's word, God's instruction. That's the same authority that elders come with today. When elders teach, it's not about them. Do what I say because I'm Paul. It doesn't work. That's ridiculous. We don't have any personal authority as pastors, teachers, but our authority is the word. And so it's very 
important for us to make sure that we teach the word as clearly and simply as possible so the flock can be fed and equipped for whatever God is calling them to do in their ministries. But these fellows didn't have the same idea. Warren Wiersbe says, the difference between Paul and the Judaizers was Paul used his authority to build up the church while the Judaizers used the church to build up their authority. And the very first verse, he kind of throws out that same slam that they were accusing him of. He says, now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He had, as a nursing mother, as a careful shepherd, been very gentle with them. But don't be mistaken. What does meekness mean? We talk about Jesus. He was meek. What does that mean? It means power under control. You see, Jesus, as the Son of God, is the one person, the Godhead, that spoke the worlds into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. That person, Philippians 2, says, though he was God, did not think his godness to be something to be grasped onto, but humbled himself, gave up those authorities, took upon himself flesh for eternity. Doesn't mean Jesus any less than God. He's 100% God, but he took upon him flesh. And in heaven, we will see the wounds of his crucifixion. While you are made perfect, the wounds of his crucifixion will be there to remind you of the grace of God that saved you. But even as he hung on the cross, and those rebellious Jewish leaders walked in front, mocking, saying, he saved others, he can't save himself. If you're so powerful, why don't you come down off the cross and save yourself? Listen, Jesus didn't have to do that. The Son of God could have thought the thought, and this world would have fizzled out of existence. That's meekness. The ones that mocked him, tried to question him, tried to catch him. How are you going to catch God in his wisdom? That's what they were up against. But Jesus in meekness ministered to us. When he died on the cross, he took the wrath of God. He took our place. It wasn't Satan that was punishing Jesus on the cross. He took the wrath of God. He took our punishment for our sin. And then he died in victory and rose again from the dead. That's meekness, my friend. Paul is saying, listen, I have the power to be the weighty person that you see in the letters. Those are real. The words are real. Those are strong words, and I mean them to be strong. But I want to be gentle like Jesus was. Verse 2, I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think as if we walked according to the flesh. He said, listen, this is God's church. This is an important battle. This is not Paul's church. He's not fighting, as I said, for his own job, but he's fighting for this church. His desire, as you look at this whole chapter, his desire is that this church becomes strong enough and faithful enough they can help in what God intended every church to be, and that is carrying the gospel forward to to some more people that have not heard. Now, the accusation is, who is he? He's nothing. His words are weighty and strong, but when he shows up, he's just a weak little guy. And his speech is unimpressive. Who does he think he is? Look at us. 
And look at all the people that we associate with. Verse 12. Paul says, no, no, no. You're looking at the outward appearance. You say you belong to Jesus? We belong to Jesus. But we're not though that class of people that compare ourselves by ourselves and among ourselves. No, you have no understanding. This is not going to be a fair fight. Because though we walk according to the flesh, that's not how we war. The weapons of warfare are not fleshly. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We're going to take those strongholds down, those wicked philosophies, those rebellious attitudes, and take every thought captive to the glory of God. That's what we're going to do. Then he says, verse 6, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Hold on, what does that mean? That sounds like the same speak, you know, when I, when I feel like I'm going to come. No, no. Every great war strategist knows that timing is as important as so many things that involve the equipment, the manpower, the weapons, also timing. And Paul didn't want to show up and hurt some of those true believers that were still growing. And it wasn't Paul's thought as when God said it was time to go, it was time to go. And he's saying basically, when God wants me, I'm going to be there, and then I'm going to punish all the disobedience. And again, it's not going to be fair. What's Paul talking about? You see, when Paul shows up to preach, he said uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it wouldn't come an excellency of speech. Second Corinthians chapter 4, it wasn't my excellence of speech or the pretty way I put words, but I came in the power of the Spirit so that your salvation would not be established in Paul, but in the Word of God. You see, when you carry the gospel to somebody, we're so fearful sometimes of sharing the gospel because we think it's about us, about us selling us. It's not. God uses his word so many times in spite of us, doesn't he? Paul said many times, he said, I was among you in weakness and trembling, and yet God used the power to turn their lives around. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God and his salvation, not Paul. The gospel, those simple words. Now, how do we share the gospel? I've been studying The Way of the Master by Ray Comfort recently. I think it's so important that when we're sharing the gospel, we just don't share, hey, just ask Jesus in your heart and everything's going to be great. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came. He died for our sin. Your sin is going to take you down to hell. The soul that sinneth shall die. You begin to look at the law. You might even lay the law out. Ray Comfort takes time to ask people in the street. And he doesn't argue with them. He says, hey, have you ever told a lie? Oh, yeah. What does that make you? A liar. Have you ever lusted? Is talking to men. Have you ever lusted after a woman? Yeah. Okay. Then you're an adulterer. And just kind of goes down the list. What does the Bible say that's going to happen to those people? They're going to hell. No hope apart from Christ. But God commended his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ray Comfort says it's kind of like uh, the uh, traffic cop pulls you over and says, you've been speeding, but don't worry about it because, you know, the judge said you can be off. Oh, that's nice. As opposed to when you're speeding on the highway and the law pulls you over and says, you were going this much over the speed limit, you're going to jail. And then he says, but 
this fellow here behind me said he'll pay your fine. It's different. We're trying to give people the answer before we even show them the problem. People are lost because of their sin apart from Christ. And Paul would share that. It wasn't about his personality, but when we share the gospel, it's no different than when the apostle Paul shares the gospel. God uses the powerful gospel in people's lives. It's supernatural. Our life in Christ is supernatural. It would just listen to him. Paul wasn't on his own agenda. He came there by the authority of God. God led him to this place. And their thing is, he doesn't have that authority. He has no more authority here. He said, well, first of all, was I the first one? Oh, yeah, I was. I was the first one to bring you the gospel, right? Right? You got saved. You're the one that got saved when I shared the gospel. Oh, that's right. Oh, who are these guys? Nobody. And they're saying he's taking his, his authority too far. No, this is exactly why God sent out the Apostle Paul. His authority was to establish churches that disciple disciple makers, right? That's what he did. So he expected, he went to larger cities, larger population centers, and he expected those larger population centers then to spread out from their place. So Paul could say about the Thessalonian church, I never came to you, but it's just like I established them. Why? Because the church that brought the gospel to Thessalonica was so faithful what Paul had taught, it was like Paul went there himself. That's what he expected. And he expected, because of God's authority as an apostle, that when he established a church, they would grow, become faithful, and help him to go preach the gospel where the gospel was never preached before. I think part of our American lethargy and apathy in church our church cultures come because we have established churches and now we have seminaries to be able to prepare these men to take over these pulpits. And the church is losing its commission. They're losing their purpose and that they were established to raise leaders up to take over there and to send people out to go around the world. You know the blessing of this church? Before I came here, Every time the pastor went on vacation, they had to call Denver someplace to get somebody else to fill the pulpit. Since I've come, we've never done that because men have always stepped up. So, Pastor, you're going to be gone? That's right. Would you preach? Yeah, no problem. I'll preach. And in our church, there's the culture of discipleship, but it's not just so that we have a lot of good information. It's so that people are raised up to take their responsibility to, to, do, to, to occupy their space in ministry. Every believer is called as a minister. If you're a child of God, you're a child of the king, there's a war going on, you're also a warrior. The question is, are you being equipped? Because we can have Bible Institute, we can have seminary, we can have church on Sunday, we can have special uh, uh, meetings and, and, and give Bible conferences. But if you don't see the need to gain those that knowledge and that wisdom for war, you're not going to know how to use it. And then you'll be one of those that are surprised. Like Peter said, don't be surprised when tribulation comes. Why? Because of the side that you're on. Satan hated you before you were saved. He really hates you now. And if he can do anything to discourage you, and how many believers get surprised by trials that come up and say, Lord, what did I do wrong? Why me? Because they joined 
thinking that everything was going to be comfortable. Listen, John Piper said prayer is war. God did not give us prayer as an intercom system to call for another pillow in the den. No, prayer is a walkie-talkie to God to call for more supplies at the front lines. And so when Paul is talking about these weapons of warfare, it's not just for his little battle with the church at Corinth. I think he's giving us encouragement. Yes, we walk according to the flesh, but as a believer, you have a supernatural being, the Holy Spirit lives within you. He's given you the supernatural word of God. And you have weapons of warfare the world does not know about. He continues and he said, listen, we're not those people that, that class ourselves as those that compare themselves by themselves and among themselves. That's the way, and that's a danger even believers can fall into. Pastors can fall into that. You might go to a town and say, well, there's the big church. Well, those guys have all the programs. They got the buildings. No, no, no. If God's called you there, you just concentrate on your row of corn, right? You, you just focus on what God has blessed you with. My, one of my purposes is to be able to minister to some of these pastors that we have in the Southern Baptist Convention and encourage them that, listen, if God put you in that little town, that's a powerful place of ministry. It's not by how many people come, but the people that are there. Like they used to say, it's not about the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. In every church, David's been telling me, you know, we had that big service where everybody from Cologne came down, and we're at the first church, church service in Bonn. And now, weekly, it's 25 or 30 people. David says, but Dad, it is so sweet. It is so sweet. You know what God's going to do with a group of people that just love the Lord and love one another? Well, that becomes a reflection of God's glory, and that attracts lost people because they're looking for something. When they find a place that loves one another, that's what Jesus said, they're going to know you belong to me. How? By your great doctrinal statement? By your correctness? No, by your love for one another. That's how they know you belong to Jesus. And he said, it is so sweet. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst. It's not the size, but it's the focus. Paul says, I don't need to compare myself with one another. And whenever you find that happening, when that little jealousy rises up, well, I don't have this and I don't have that, just stop it. You are God's child. You are a child of the king. You belong to him. And you don't have to get some big idea. I know there's a lot of books written about getting a big vision, you know, a BHAG, a big audacious goal, something big enough to honor God. Listen, there's enough as God leads you to keep you busy, you don't need to think up other things to do. The goal is, as Jesus did, John 5, 19 and 20, find out where God's working and get there. Join him there. What's God doing? God's always at work. What's he doing? Go there. I mean, we've got techne ministries. We got a lot of guys, a lot of men from our church, a lot of women there involved. Why? Because God's working there. It's obvious. God is working. That's a powerful place to be. So it's attractive. We got our college ministry. It's obvious. God is working there. And so we got a number of people say, I want to help with that ministry. Things are going on down in the gospel project with Sunday school. And so we don't have any problem getting people to work down there because they say, man, I want to be part of that. 
When God's working, it draws to himself. Now, here's the deal. As God draws you and you follow him, there are going to be challenges, are there not? Because we're involved in a war. You're on the front lines. When you're following the Lord, you're on the front lines. If God's leading you, if you're where you're supposed to be, there's going to be challenges, but those are God's battles. So don't try to quit and run, find something easier. Just stay there and wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40 says, they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with, with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. Wait on the Lord. That means you just follow him. When he's moving, you're moving. When he stops, you stop. When he tells you to speak, you speak. It's called walking with God. And when you walk that way pretty soon, what? You're going to be praying without ceasing. You're going to be living in an attitude of prayer because you see the battle as a spiritual battle. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, listen, it's not about flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rules of darkness of high places. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God. You need it all. You need the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, and take the sword of the Spirit, your loins girt about with truth, and then take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You need to be weaponized for the war, and that is the purpose of church and Sunday school and small group, is that you might be equipped for your battle because it's when you go out from those places that the battle starts. The battle isn't in here. This is just halftime. This is halftime to get some more information for the next portion of the battle. And so Paul says it's not about comparing yourself. He's pretty sure he's got that authority, right? Yeah, look at his track record. God had used Paul to turn the world upside. Obviously, God was using him. These other guys couldn't say that. Comes down to the last two verses, and he said, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. We don't have to glory in one another. And then it's not about who recommends themselves, but whom the Lord commends. That's what it comes down to. But what about these weapons? Every one of you have challenges. Are these weapons for you? And what are those weapons? You see, what you have as a child of God is you have God. Yes, it's the word of God, but it's, it's everything about God because you receive Christ as your Savior. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. You have give, given his word and the Holy Spirit so you can understand the word. You've been given God's grace so that you would have the power and the desire to be obedient to his word. He's given you God's mercy. Yes, God's mercy is a weapon against Satan. When you can take vengeance, you don't because you are confident that God is taking care of you. That's why the Bible says when we walk through the valley of shadow of death, we have no fear. Why? Because God is with us. You have the most terrible, awesome warrior in all of space and time, God, who speaks worlds into existence and one day will say, pass out of existence. And Peter said, then this world is going to pass away with a great sound and fervent heat. It's going to fizzle and then God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. That's the God we serve. So anything he calls you to do, if it's he, him calling you to do it, he's going to provide, he's going to protect, he's going to lead, give you the wisdom, 
to take you through it. So what? So that one day you can hear, well done, faithful servant. And then what do you do? Then you take those crowns of faithfulness and you cast them at the feet of Jesus because Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Paul said, it's not longer, longer I, but it's Christ in me. What was the authority? The word of Christ. It wasn't Paul. In Romans 15, 4, there's that little verse that Paul says, the things written before were written for our instructions so that through patience and hope of the scripture, patience and knowledge of the scripture, we might have hope. What's he talking about? Talking about the Old Testament. What about the Old Testament? Well, in the Old Testament, God led his children out of Egypt, didn't he? He made them a nation under pressure. And when the Pharaoh didn't know Joseph, the new Pharaoh came in, they became slaves. And then God sent Moses in to lead them out. And that all the plagues on Israel, which were giving Pharaoh and the Egyptians the opportunity to see who God was, most of them rejected. Not all of them. Some of them went out with Israel. And they get out there a little ways, and God told Moses, I'm not going to take them the fast way because these folks need to learn how to fight. They've been farmers and bricklayers. Now they need to learn how to be warriors, so I'm going to take my time. What was God going to teach them about fighting? Did they need to learn how to use swords? Yes, but ultimately what he was going to teach them is, you depend on me. And so they get out to the Red Sea, and I was like, ooh, Red Sea. And then here comes Pharaoh's army because Pharaoh woke up, and his heart was hardened, and he said, there went my economy. How am I going to run the economy without the free labor? So he sent the army out to bring them back. And the people said, Moses, what have you done now? We, we kind of like being slaves. They, 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 every, they brought this up every once in a while. You know, back in Egypt, we didn't have to eat this stinking manna. We had chickens, and we had all this good stuff to eat. You were slaves. Yeah, but at least we're alive. So here comes the Egyptian army. Then God brought just a wall of fire. So the Egyptian army had to stop. And God protected them all night. And they're complaining. God just brought us out here to die. Moses, this is your fault. And Moses finally said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And God opened the sea. And they all went through on dry land. And you say, well, I've heard that that's not true, that it was really the Reed Sea that was very shallow and that uh, the wind blew a little bit, so they were able to kind of stomp through the sand and get to the other side. Really? Then how did the Egyptian army drown? Did they just fall down and couldn't get up like turtles? <sighs> you know, we, we didn't have the information. We just, we, as believers, we look at the Bible, God said it. That settles it, right? God said it, that settles it. He delivered them. Here's the thing. When you're following the Lord, you might send your children to Germany. What a culture. That culture is against the gospel. What can happen in that secular, ungodly culture? Well, let me remind you of something. God's not intimidated by any culture of humanity. He's just not intimidated. And the gospel's powerful. The Bible says in... Uh, Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? With all prayer and petition, excuse me, that's it. That's the last one. I was reading the next verse. God can take his word and shatter hard hearts. He's not intimidated. 
Or maybe you send your children down to the gates of hell in St. George. Well, who can get saved down there? It's just saturated with false religion. God's not intimidated by that. Because the gospel is powerful. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. But maybe it's just not hard hearts. Maybe it's a situation. And you really felt that you were doing what God wanted to, and all of a sudden you just hit the financial wall, and now you're going to lose everything. Remember, it's an adventure. The children, of, the children of Israel were slaves, and they went out wealthy. Why? Because God moves in the Egyptians' heart to give, take all their silver and gold and, and fancy tapestries and, and material, and tea, please go. Go, get out of here. Go, take it and go. They're afraid if they stayed around any longer, God had put that in their heart that they would all die. And God had prophesied that, and it came to pass. But you know, one of the wonderful stories in the Old Testament is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 10. And the, uh, the king saw that the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir were coming down to destroy them. And so he called the nation together. Everybody that was there in Jerusalem, he just called them all together. It says the infants, the women, the children, everybody, bring your babies, we're going to pray. And in verse 12... The king prays this, oh, our God, will you not judge those people? You can see what they're doing. That's the first step for every believer. Tell God on what's going on. Your boss is bad, go tell God on him. Don't complain to the employees, just go tell God. We are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Here's the important part. And we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. Isn't that powerful? How many times have you been in that place in business, in ministry, in relationship, and you say, I don't know what to do, but our, but our eyes are on you. What happened? Well, about that time, the Spirit of the Lord came on one of the prophets, and uh, he said, listen, Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord, do not fear, be dismayed because of this great multitude. The battle is not yours, but God's. See, if God's leading you, you are convinced you're in school, you're on this job, you're in this place in life, you're in that relationship, that's where God had placed you, then it's not your battle, it's God's. You just have to be willing to be obedient. How do you do that? Keep your eyes on the Lord. So they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And they went out there. The king says to them, Listen, Judah and inhabitants of Israel, put your, put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. What did he say? Put your trust in God. Listen to the preachers that preach the word and we're going to be fine. So then what did he say? He consulted with the people. He appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire. He said, we're going to have the choir lead us. The choir? Yeah, the choir is going to lead us. But we got this much of an army. No, no, the choir. God says put the choir out front. So all the guys in the choir. Come on, the choir? The band guys? And so the choir went out there and they started singing. And I suppose they could hear some tumult, tumult growing. They couldn't, go, they couldn't see. They just sang. They just trusted God and praised the Lord.
And when the people began singing, the Lord set ambushes against Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroyed them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped destroy one another. When Judah came out to look out at the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, they were corpses lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among among them, including goods, garments, valuable things, which they took for themselves, more than they could carry. And there were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. See, if you're walking with the Lord, that's why, listen, I'm telling you, if you're not involved in the ministry God has gifted you for, and I don't know what that is, you're missing out on the fun. You are missing out on the joy. Will there be trials? Of course there'll be trials. There's going to be battles, but there's victories and there's spoils. And the amazing, overwhelming peace of knowing I'm exactly where God wants me to be. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I didn't share those first two, but for years I used to have this dream every once in a while. And uh, I love this church. This church has been my life, right? It's my whole ministry. And once in a while I have this dream, and in the dream, the elders come to me and say, well, sorry, pastor, you can't be the pastor anymore. And I get this just heaviness. It's like, oh, I can't be the pastor anymore. What am I going to do? And the Lord gives me another thought. Well, it wasn't your church anyway. And we got other adventures to do. I'm like, oh, that's right. You see, whatever we're doing, it's God's battle. It's God's ministry. He wants us to just be what? Faithful. And we may not know what to do. We just keep our eyes on the Lord. Father, we thank you for your love for us. That you've not only saved us, you've gifted us for a part in the battle. You expect us to occupy until you come. Do business for the kingdom until you come. Oh, Lord, equip us, even if it takes trials. Equip us with your word that we might be found faithful. And then we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.